there's a, a book I read a number of years ago. Maybe some of you have read it as well. I, I enjoy uh, books that are kind of uh, focused on organizations and, and especially books that kind of push you to, towards uh, uh, be, doing better. Uh, and one of those books that came out a number of years ago is this book, In Search of Excellence. And, and it was uh, written primarily for organizations. And, and the thought behind it and the principles that were a part of it were to help uh, an organization that may be a good organization, but to help them to push towards excellence. And, and, uh, and I just those things kind of uh, charge me up a little bit when I read those those kind of books. Uh, I've read a number over the years. Well, there's a, a particular paragraph in this book, and, and this happens to me a lot. I read these books, and I read these principles that, uh, you know, could be uh, uh, seven habits of highly uh, effective executives or, or a good to great, some of these books. And I read these principles, and, and what's interesting is lots of times what they've done is they've gone into these successful, good, excellent uh, organizations, and they've looked for these things that cause them to stand apart. And and then usually, you know, it'll, the book is kind of built around a list of the things that excellent companies or, or great companies have in common. And what's always, always amazing to me and, and encouraging to me is as, as I'm reading those through is I land on their, their big ideas and almost without exception, uh, I, I think, you know, that's right from the Word of God. They, they, they uh, may think they're pretty smart, but the reality is the reason it's working so well is they've lined up with principles that I see in the Word of God, and, and it's causing them to be a successful, a great company, an excellent company. And uh, one of the ones, a paragraph that stuck out in, in this uh, particular book, and in fact, as I was preparing to have this conversation this morning, uh, I remembered this. And, and so here, here's one of the paragraphs in uh, this book uh, on excellence. It says, the excellent company, companies were, above all, brilliant on the basics. Tools did not substitute for thinking. Intellect didn't overpower wisdom. An analysis didn't impede action. Rather, these companies worked hard to keep things simple in a complex world. Now, you can tell a couple of phrases stuck out to me. And those are the phrases that I looked at them, and, and, and as, as I was thinking through this conversation that we've had on the book of Colossians. In fact, that's where we are. If you want to get in your Bible, we're in Colossians chapter 3. Remember, this is a letter. This is a letter that Paul uh, wrote to the, the, the followers of Christ that lived in this town called Colossae. And, uh, uh, and as, so I, as I, I thought of this, it really fits in with what Paul said to this church. And remember the background of this, and we've, we've talked about this a number of times, but the background is... Here's a church, uh, a group of Christians that, that in a in a time not too in the not too uh, far in the past, actually three years, they really thought they that things were together. They kind of things were going smooth. They understood, they understood what their big idea was, what the primary thing that should be a part of their life was, and and it was it was Jesus. They they knew that he had to be the focus of their faith and their life, and and yet. They'd gotten off track. Individuals came into this group and began to say, well, yeah, that's right, but you need some of this too and some of that, and, and uh, you need to keep these rules. And, and pretty soon they were all confused, and, and they're wondering, where do I stand? You know, I thought I had this figured out, but maybe I don't. I mean, these guys sound like they know what they're talking about, and so maybe I, I haven't quite got... And so 
they're kind of, things are disrupted, and there's a lot of anxiety going on. They're not sure where they stand in regard to their relationship with God, which is a really important thing to them. And, and so Paul writes this letter to them, uh, be, trying to help remind them, get them back to this first fa- phrase, brilliant on the basics, getting them back, in this case, to the basic, to what it is they need to understand and know when it came to God. And, and so early on in this, in this conversation, as we looked at this letter, we, we came across these two verses. For, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In other words, Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So he goes to these folks and he says, I know you're hearing these different voices. And I know they're saying a lot of different things that are confusing you and making you start to wonder and question where you stand with God. But let me tell you, this is what it's about. It is about Jesus. And I've talked about that several times. People say, well, that's what the church supposed, that's what preachers are supposed to say. It's about Jesus. But it is. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus in, in, in establishing a relationship with God because of what he did, because he brought us peace when he shed his blood on the cross. It's about Jesus from that point on. We're supposed to wrap our life around Jesus Christ. We, we know we stand in good standing with God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and that we accepted that for gift of forgiveness. But we're supposed to live our life from a perspective of, I wonder what, I want to live in a way that pleases my God. And so that's the basic. And he said to these people, you need to get back to that basic because that's what it's all wrapped up in. It's none of these other things that they're confusing you with. It's not. It is about Jesus Christ and your relationship with him and your love for him and your desire to please him with your life. So he gets them back to the basic. Then the other phrase that stuck out to me was keeping these excellent companies kept things simple. And really, Paul's very simple in this letter. Again, he starts off by saying, all right, number one, it's you know, the Christian life. In fact, there is no Christian life apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's not just an introduction to Jesus Christ, it's an ongoing relationship. It's interesting, I, I, I like to read, I read a lot of, uh, try to keep up on the news. Uh, you know, I, I kind of pick and choose where I get my news from. Uh, don't spend, I don't spend a lot of time on any of the networks because I just, you know, you, it's kind of hard to find a balance in spite of the fact that some of them claim to be very balanced. Uh, but it, it, so I, I have a couple of... Uh, periodicals that I have grabbed onto because I do have seen over the years that they're pretty consistent and, and really painting the picture. But So I, I, I'm up on that, and it's interesting. I read a, I read a statistic just in the last week or so, uh, which I, I found kind of amazing, but I, now it made sense as they talked about. And, and it may have slightly changed just in recent history, as we know, but for the most part, every single one of our government leaders almost without exception, claim to be Christian. I know that a lot of them don't really understand what that means. Uh, You just know it based on how they describe it. And and so Paul's saying what you need to understand is Christian, this term, and remember we've talked about this way back in the beginning, that that really that that term is uh, uh, really was a detrimental term back in those days. But a Christ follower, which is what it means, 
uh, is someone who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not someone who's an American, who's so, who is a Democrat or Republican. It's not any of those things that sometimes I, it seems to get pegged with. It is a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So he says that, that's the first simple thing. Then he said, and last week we looked at this, and number two is, you know, from that perspective, then we want to pull the plug. We want to put to death anything that comes that might want to be in our life that we know is going to be destructive to that relationship, that's going to take away from it. And he walked us through a list last week of things that do do that, that they, they rob us of what God wants to have in a relationship with us, because that's what it is, an ongoing relationship. And then, and then today, as, as we conclude what we're going to look at in, in this letter, he says, and finally, live up to who you are. Live up to your identity. Well, what's our identity? Well, Paul goes right into that as we go on this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and here's where he starts. Therefore, and I love this phrase. I love, I love this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's who you are. That, if you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, that's who you are. You are God's chosen person. You are holy you are, are dearly loved. That's your identity. And, and I want you to know all this is written in a tense that not only says that's who you are now, but that, that has nothing to do with choices and decisions. It's not because you, you're doing, managing your life well. It's because God has placed that. That's his heart for you and I. That's the way he thinks of us. That's the way he looks at us. That's the way we are because God has said this is who we are. I kind of want to walk down through these a little bit uh, uh, First of all, when it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, I love uh, David Garland is one of the commentaries I looked at in preparation for this. And he says, what that word means is God embraced us first. I love the picture. I, I, I'm sure you've had this happen. Maybe you haven't, and I hope you haven't. But, you know, you have someone in your life that, you know, they, there is, there's always been this close, tight tender relationship. It's that person that, you know, you talk to several times a day or text, you know, you just, it's, and, and it's just, that's their part, there's so much a part of who you are. So you're always texting back and forth and talking and you can't, when you're actually face to face, you, you just love being in their presence. And then, and then there's a falling out. And so all of a sudden the communication stops. There's been some kind of an impasse and, a, and the communication stops. And so the, a day goes by and there's no text and there's no phone calls, and and uh, and then another day goes by, and man, it's it's a you're, you're you're it's a heartache. I mean, you're struggling because they're they're they have been a part of who you are, and and now there's no conversation going on, and 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 you know in your heart you're saying, you know, I know somebody's got to take the first step to resolve this, and and you know that's the case, but you just can't make yourself do it, and and so. You know, maybe days go by or maybe a couple of weeks and, and it's just, a, it is such a daily heartache. And then you're out one day in the community and all of a sudden you run into each other. In fact, maybe you saw them from a distance and you, and you kind of debated, what should I do? Maybe should I, should I try to hit the other aisle of the grocery store? Or, but, uh, and, and you see them and then they see you. And without a, a moment of hesitation, they move towards you and they, and they walk up to you. And they embrace you. 
And suddenly all those tensions and those anxieties and the hurt, it just it melts away in that embrace. And they didn't even say anything. It's just, it's just what they were saying in that embrace is, we're okay. We're okay. And, and it all goes back to the way it was before. Well, this is what's this pictured here. Is it's saying, God looked at, at, at you and I, and, and there was a, there's something between us. Not, not because he did anything, but we did. And, and God chose to move towards us and embrace us. Not only that, the right word is God chose. He said, you are God's chosen people. You are. He, he chose to be in relationship with you. His heart's desire is to, to have you part of his family. And so, and so Paul's saying to these people, because they're, they're a little confused right now, they're a little worried, Am I, where do I stand with God? And, and remember, this, the tense of this is, it's not about what I've done. It's just, he's saying, here's God's heart for you. Understand who you are. God has chosen you. He's embraced you. You're his people. Uh, my grandmother on my father's side used to always, I got kicked, she would always talk about, you know, maybe you have someone like that too, she'd talk about, uh, you know, your people, and she meant your family. And Paul, you, you know your people, and, and, you know, and that meant my family. God says, you're my people. I embraced you, and you're holy. And, and what that word means is, uh, it means set apart. You, you're the fine china. You ever thought of yourself like that? You know, but you're the fine child. You're the you're the president's pin. Remember those you know those times when he signs a bill and they'll have these pins laid out. And uh, you know, in my pragmatic, I'm thinking, what a waste one time. But they you know, a special pin is pulled out and one piece of paper is signed, maybe a bill or whatever. And and the last time then that sign is taken and or that pin is taken and put somewhere for history or given to someone special. And and he says, you're that. That's what you are. You're set apart. You're that special people. You're that special presidential pin. Or maybe you're, the, you're that, uh, uh, that anniversary restaurant. Do you have an anniversary restaurant? Uh, we, you know, that, that you only go to, that's your special place. We had, uh, Mary and I knew a couple that they, uh, when they got married, they went to a particular restaurant for the reception. And then every year on their anniversary, they would go back. They wouldn't go all year long, as I remember, but they'd go back and they would eat at that restaurant on their anniversary because it was a special place for them. And in fact, uh, after about 30 years, you know what happens? Uh, one day they, they, the restaurant closed and they took it down. And, and at least that first anniversary after it had all been taken away, they took a card table and food with them and they sat in the parking lot because that was their special place. And that's what he's saying is, you are my special people. I've set you apart. That's my heart for you. When I look at you, I think, ah, She's mine. He's mine. And you're dearly loved. Uh, this, is a, this is a cool word. Just, uh, it, is so, it is so seeped with affection. You know, nowadays with our devices, with our, your phones, you know, lots of you if, I, if you showed me your phone, you'd probably have maybe a, a picture of a person in your screensaver. And, and that person, you, like, you want them there because they're they're that 
there's affection, there's delight there. Now, my phone, my wife is on my phone. Everyone, she's usually on my phone, everyone's on a motorcycle, but usually it's my wife on my phone. Uh, but on her phones, this is what gets on her phones. The grandkids, that's the one that's on her phone right now. And I wish you, I should have made it bigger because that's Joey, and uh, that is classic Joey. I just want you to know that. Uh, uh, because that, that's that place in the heart. And, and this word means, you're, you're my delight. God says, you're my delight. You're, you're my joy. You're, my, you're the one. I, I just find pleasure in my relationship with you. That's where my heart is. And so God says that about you and I. He says, you are, you are my people. You are, I've set you apart. You're special to me. You're my delight. I, I find great pleasure in you. And he says, that's, that's who you are to me. You know, it, and he says, I, I love to be identified with you. That's a cool thing. I love to be identified with you. But here's the question, okay? First of all, do I love to be identified with him? And, and really the bigger question then, I think from Paul's perspective as he continues to move through this is, and what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to identify myself as I'm, I'm one of God's chosen people, one of his people he's set apart that he finds great pleasure in? What does that look like? And, and that's where Paul's going to go uh, as we draw this particular conversation to a close. And he's going to say, okay, here's what I want. I want you to clothe yourself. Now, remember, those things we just looked at were all things that had nothing to do with us. They're just God saying, here's, you, here's where you are in my heart. Not because you've done anything wonderful, not because you're just such a great person, I couldn't, you know, I had to have you in my, he did, but he said, it was not because we merited it, that was just him. But now he's saying, here's, here is as my child, as my dearly loved individual, as one I have set apart, here is how I want you to clothe yourself. And you do hear the action. Here's, he's looking at us saying, here's what I want you to do as you identify yourself with me. I want you to clothe yourself. I want you to put these things on. Uh, that's that tense we looked at last week that means do this, and, and really it's not about feeling. It's not about, well, you know, today I'm not really up to it. No, he said, ignore that because these are the right things to do as my children every day, regardless of, of how you feel. In fact, that's the idea. Do this regardless because they're the right thing to do. So now let's walk down through this list. He says, clothe yourself in compassion. I want my children to be identified. One of the identifying marks of them, I want to be compassion. That there is a sensitivity to what is going on in each other's lives and in, in everyone's life. I, I want people to look at you, and, and one of the things that, that will mark you as my child is that you're a compassionate individual. I want you to clothe yourself in kindness. Uh, I ran across some definitions, and I thought they were pretty good. He said, kindness, gracious sensitivity, triggered by genuine care for their feelings or for others' feelings and desires. I want you to be the kind of person that's known for, for, for really considering others. When, when push comes to shove, when it's, 
my way or, or your way, that you're the kind of person whose who's thought, per, or your, whose, perspe, whose perspective, who wants to identify him as God's child because they're a very kind person. Uh, they really care. And, and so there, there's a, the, it's very obvious they care about what you think about and how you feel about it and, and what's it, what is this doing to your heart. And, and that's the kind of person that I want my children to be. I want you to be known, clothed with this, that you're kind individuals. Clothe yourself with humility. It checks the incessant quest to attain honor and to rise in the pecking order. Mary Lou and I did ministry for uh, a couple of decades in the Washington, D.C. Beltway area. This is so opposite of what we experienced there. It's, it is such a power-hungry area. I just want you to know, I just, it's amazing. I, I, it's the first time I ever ran into a uh, uh, men struggling with anxiety attacks. And, and it was a regular occurrence because you never knew who to trust. You might think you have this coworker and your, your perspective is, well, they got my back, but the reality is they don't have your back at all. They're just looking for the way, for the opportunity to step on you to get up. And that was the environment. That is the environment. I want you to know, you, you know, when we pray for individuals who are in, in, in the midst of that, uh, and, and, you know, sometimes we'll look at uh, all the individuals in, in, involved in government in, in one way or another, and we're thinking, how, they're, they, they're so strange. They, they don't think like the rest of us. No, they don't, because it's a different world, and it's that kind of a world where, where you, you never know who you can trust. And he's saying, I, that shouldn't be the case in my church. In fact, uh, I love the way one, one author put it. He says, uh, uh, we don't climb ladders in the church, we build risers. You know, our perspective is we want to all go, we want to lift each other up. You know, I'm not trying to build myself up at your expense. Uh, no, I want us to, to, to grow together. And, and so he says, that's going to be, that's how I want you to close. That's what, when people look at you, I want them to, to be able to say, oh, he's one of God's kids because humility is a part of who he is. Clothe yourself in gentleness. The willingness to make allowance for others. The, you know, the, I, I often use the phrase, benefit of the doubt. I think God's perspective is, our, our default should be, when, when someone does something and we're, and we're thinking, well, why did you do that? That's, you know, that's felt rude to me. That, that felt inconsiderate. And, but, but we're the kind of people, or when someone cuts, that guy cuts us off on the road or or, or as I had happen the other day, you know, the, the guy that in, I'm in a hurry and, and we're at a, at a red light and he's in front of me and he's on his phone and I can almost predict what's going to happen. Light turns green and he's talking and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm really working on my gentleness because, you know, there's a reason God put horns in cars. Uh, uh, and I'm doing everything I can not to ta- explore that reason. Uh, he said, I want, I want my people to be known by, you know, you make allowances. You give the benefit of the doubt. Now, how, how do I know what he's talking about? You know, he might have, it might be a phone call that's changing his world right at that moment. And, and so he says, that's, the kind, that's what I want my children to be clothed. I want, that's how I want you to look. Clothe yourself with patience. You know, we're patient with each other. We're not looking, you know, we're, we, we're humans. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to say it wrong. We're going to do it wrong. We're, we're going to, you know, we're going to have those days where 
you know, the, the background events, things aren't going so well, and it comes out in our attitude. That's just a reality. And he says, but my children are patient with each other. They're patient. They, they clothe them. This is, you, this is your identity, is this willingness to endure wrongs. Yeah, you know, you shouldn't have said it that way. But, all right, I'll suck it up. I don't, it's okay. I, I'm not always, you know, I, well, you, you treated me that way, you're going to get it back. That's just, he's, no, that's not how my children look. He goes on then. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with each other. Delaying a response for a wrong done. You know, Matthew 18 is one of those passages that we often point to in, in, in the Word of God because, uh, you know, it's, it's been classified as a church discipline passage. I think that is totally a wrong classification. It's really about relationship restoration. It's, it's talking about the fact that when, when we have, find ourselves at odds with a fellow believer, he says, here's what you do. You don't just say, well, you know, that, I'm just done with them. No, he says, you work towards restoration. And he, and he talks through how. It's really late. He says, well, first thing you do is, you know, what you don't do is, and it's what we so typically do is, you don't go to 20 other people asking their counsel, as to, you know, so-and-so did this, and, you know, they really shouldn't know, how, how should I handle this? No, he says, you go to that person. Have that conversation. Don't, don't spread it all out there. And, and, uh, but, you know, what I found is, and, and uh, you know, one of the churches that I was a pastor of, uh, when I first went there, actually, uh, when I first kind of interviewed for the position, it's interesting, one of the elders, and I, should, I think I shared this with you, he said, we're a disciplining church. I should have really paid attention to that. Uh, because what I found was there was, there was a rush. They, they, so, they were so proud of that that there was a rush to bring every conflict to church discipline. Bring it out. And I was like, oh, what, what a mistake of the heart. What, you know, delay response. You know, we're, let's be patient with each other. Let's, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll say to someone, I'll say, give the Holy Spirit a chance to work on their heart, you know. It doesn't mean we let it go forever. We need, to, we need to resolve these things, but sometimes we're so quick to give that peace of mind that we really can't afford to lose, you know. He says, my children should, should clothe themselves with this bearance, this, this, this carefulness, giving time for God to work on the heart of that person. And then he says, forgive. It's the same root that we find the word grace, you know. Be gracious to each other. That's, that's what I want my children to look like. And it's not just us in this church. It's, it's the way we respond to the people in the world around us as well. But there's a, there's a graciousness that we identify. He, he's proud to identify you and I as his chosen people, as his holy one, as, as the ones he's dearly loved. And he's saying, I want you to identify yourself as my children by, by these kind of things. They're a part of who we are, that they should be characteristic of us. And remember, it's not about how we feel. That's not what's going on here. That, that tense we looked at earlier, it's about, it's the right thing to do. I, I, I actually feel like honking the horn right now, but that's not the right thing to do. You know, that's not, that's not identifying myself as one of God's kids. And, and I want to identify that myself that way. And then he goes on, over all these virtues, what is it that, that makes them all work? Put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And here's what we hear. 
we hear emotion there. But remember, this Paul, this is agape love, and, and Paul clearly identifies. He, he spells out one, a, a wonderful definition of this. And if you haven't looked at it, which I'm sure you probably have, 1 Corinthians 13. You know, love is kind. Love is patient. Love is long-suffering. Love overlooks wrongs done. Love, he goes right down to the look. This. That's this love. And, and we talked about this before. It's not about emotions. There's no emotions in the whole passage. It is about doing what is right because it is right. And he says, if you put on this kind of love, it'll make all this stuff work together. In fact, uh, uh, he, you know, he, he, we talked about this. You know, when the, when the, the false teachers, the Pharisees, came to Jesus and, and challenged him with a question. They said, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to trap him, and he says, well, let me tell you, there's two parts. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart and love each other as I, as I have loved you. And he says, if you'll do that, get that one those, the, that one part of loving God and loving each other right, you don't even need the other commandments because they'll fall into place. In fact, this is a perfect segue into where we're going because our next series, starting next Sunday, is called Let Love Out. Pastor Travis is actually going to do a three-week series on just what does this look like? Because God has made it such a focal point of who we are as believers that we need to spend some time talking and thinking through, what does it mean? You know, how do I let love out? What's that supposed to look like? And, and so here's where we're going. Now, here's what I want to do this morning, because Paul summarizes chapter 3, and that's where we're stopping today. We're going to maybe come back to the rest later on, uh, chapter 4, but, and, and the last part of chapter 3. But let me read this summary. Here's what I want you to do while I read this, because you, I want you to hear the heart of God for you, why he's talked us through all these things that we've been looking at. I want you to hear his heart for you as his children, as his dearly loved children, as his set-apart ones, as the ones he chose. And so I want you to bow your head and just listen to the words. So there won't be any distraction, but here's God's heart for you as we close. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, thank you for this important letter. And, and you know, I think back as we began this study that here's Paul in prison, and, and I'm sure uh, he's got to be asking the questions, Lord, why? Here's this church that I need to be there. They're struggling, and, and I should be there to help them through that. And and why, do you, why have you allowed me to be in prison? I'm sure from his perspective, from a human perspective, it just seemed like just the wrong timing to, to not be able to travel. And yet we look back now and we see it was perfect what you did because instead of going there, he wrote a letter and that letter became part of what we needed to hear today. We need to be reminded how you see us as we 
heard Paul's words that your perspective of us is you are my chosen people. You are dearly loved. You, I've set you apart and, and that's the people that are sitting in this room. That's your heart for them. And Lord, you've helped us understand how we can go about identifying us, ourselves as your children. We want, to, we want you to be proud of us. We want folks to know we're God's kids and and it's not about religion. It's not about rules. It's about the things that you say that we need to put on, like clothes, on a daily basis. Thanks, Lord, because we're going to head out in just a few minutes to a world, and a lot of them don't know you, and a lot of them, they, they have a perspective of you that's so far off. They don't know that you love them and that your heart is for them and that your desire is to bless them and, and what you want is them to have peace. They don't know that. They're looking for that, but they don't know it. And, and we get the opportunity as your kids to show them your heart. Help us to do that well. Thanks for this time together this morning. Pray these things in your son's name. Stand with me as we close. And he is jealous for me. He loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. And all love. I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us oh oh how he
Have a great week. Thanks so much for worshiping with us. We'll see you next time.